If you have experienced loss of any kind, you may be feeling overwhelmed and stuck. We get it. That's why we created RISE. It is an engaging five-step journey that you can take at your own pace that will help you get on the road toward healing. It comes with videos and a companion guide and easy actions you can try each day to help you to find relief. To join the RISE journey, head to thegriefsisters.com or check out the link in today's show notes. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for 100 miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. And it was that line of no matter how lonely the world mm-hmm. offers itself to your imagination. I just felt like this sense of whenever I feel like I'm a part of things, like that sense of belonging, it just, it brings me joy. And I just feel mm-hmm. really grateful to be able to recognize that in my life. Hey family, I'm Coach Steph. And I'm Dr. Angela. We are the Grief Sisters. Together, we lost four family members in a seven-week time period. We know suffering. You may feel lonely, but you are not alone. Let's jump in. Hey, family. I am so glad that you are here with us listening today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I hope that you are having a lovely day wherever you are. And if you're not, I hope that this conversation brings a little bit of like healing balm to your life. Um, My sister, Coach Steph, is with her daughter, my amazing niece, Natalie, visiting her at college today. So it's just me, Dr. Angela, not to be confused with our guest, Angie Gray, who is here today. Before I say hello to Angie and tell you all about her, She's wonderful. You're going to love her and love hearing about her work. Shout out to another one of my nieces, Andy Olney. She is 11. And I want to say, Andy, I hope that you have an awesome soccer game tomorrow. Andy and I were talking last weekend at lunch, and she said that sometimes she listens to episodes of this podcast with her mom, our sister Jenna. And so I would like to give a special shout out to Andy and just tell all of you that she is very cool and awesome. (laughs) our guest today is angie gray angie if you could describe your week this week that you're having right now as a feeling what word would you use that's a good question Um, can you sum it up in one word as a feeling i would say a little overwhelming (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i would say for my week i would say heavy so I think we're in the same, you know, maybe and maybe for different reasons. But for me, I would say heavy. That would be my how I would describe this week. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm moving on Monday. 
and I'm moving, I'm, well, I'm packing the pod on Monday. And if anyone's ever moved multiple states, you know, you have to like give away all your stuff and then wait for a week and a half for it to get there. <laughs> and so I'm in the midst of transition, which is always like a collision of joy and sorrow. I feel like where like some things are ending and other things are beginning and you're just kind of living in the mix of it all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Well, our guest today, I want to tell you all about her before we get into some conversation about her reflections on her journey, on her work. I just want to share a little bit of her story so you can know about who she is. And I think it'll give you some insight on why I'm super excited to have her on our show today. Angie Gray first fell in love with massage therapy while working in the D.C. area in a daycare with children with different medical needs who regularly received different types of therapy. She later moved to Los Angeles, where she completed her education in massage therapy. A year later, in 2012, her husband, Will, who you will hear about in just a few minutes, was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of cancer, which took his life in July of 2013. She then moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which is where you live now, right? Is that right? It is. Right? Yes. I just want to make, yes, that, that is where, and I know that's where your business is, and I'm going to talk about that. But she moved to Nashville in August of 2013. After four years of working different jobs and focusing on a couple of things that she did in Will's honor, and we'll come back to these later, she released Will's full-length album, Honeysuckle Wine, and she re-released Will's documentary, Broke, Reprised. And she then found her way back to her own dream of working in therapy in 2017. She became the owner of Nashville Neuromuscular Care in 2020, where she currently works as a neuromuscular therapist. And y'all, she has the chops. Angie is a licensed massage therapist, a certified neuromuscular therapist and nationally board certified massage therapist. She graduated from the National Holistic Institute in Studio City of California, where she also completed her certification as an advanced neuromuscular therapist and health educator. Additionally, Angie holds a Bachelor of Social Work degree from Union University, but there's more. She has also received her certification as a posture corrective exercise specialist and a human movement specialist. She is certified in ACE metacupping therapy, neurokinetic therapy, and oncology massage therapy. She studied under Tina Allen with the Little Kids Foundation, becoming a certified pediatric massage therapist and a certified infant massage teacher, too. She traveled to Harare, Zimbabwe, and Shimoga, India. Did I say those correctly? Did. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh -huh. In 2014, where she provided touch therapy, education, and treatment to orphan caregivers, teachers, and parents. And in 2017, she was selected to join a team of only 30 therapists from around the world with the Little Kids Foundation to travel to several places in India where they provided touch therapy education to families, teachers, and healthcare staff, as well as treatment to children. So, if this is your first introduction to massage therapy as a form of healing, touch therapy. I'm so excited for you to hear from Angie today about what she does. And perhaps you listening can get some of the help 
that her healing hands and other people like her does in your city. Or maybe you should just fly to Nashville and see Angie yourself. Angie, I am so thankful that you're with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And I appreciate all the kind things you said about me. Oh, yes. It's well, you have quite a resume. Like I said, y'all, she has the chops. So I can't (laughs) believe all the different and all the like many educational certificates and degrees you have collected. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I want to start with your dog because a lot of people listening love their dogs or their cats, their pet, right? Could you please tell me about your dog? What is your dog's name? What is your dog like? And what's that been like for you, you know, being a dog parent? Yeah, it has been, it's been quite the journey, I must say. (laughs) I had dogs growing up, we did, but we lived down the country, so they were outdoor dogs, and I just never really bonded with them, so I never had that, like, bond with a pet, you know? (laughs) Um, But I kind of came, I guess it was last year, I just decided I really wanted to adopt a dog, and (laughs) I was trying really hard, but I, I kept getting rejected. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really know why, but maybe it was my lack of experience. But I was also like dating at the time. So between like rescue dog rejection and dating rejection. Oh, just, girl. It was just so much. So I actually gave up. And then one night I was like, you know, I'm going to look one more time on Pet Finder. Mm-hmm. And I saw this little dog and her name was Rachel. And that was my grandma's name. And I was oh. just so drawn to her. Um, And so I contacted, she had been a stray and was picked up by Metro Animal Care and Control. So I contacted them. She was currently living in a foster home. I went to visit her and she immediately got the zoomies when I walked Mm. in. It was just like, it was so amazing to see her, like so excited to see me. We never even met before. It was just kind of from there. I was like, She's the one. I I mm-hmm. want to adopt her. I fostered her for a couple of weeks before just to kind of make sure that we were a good fit because it was my first experience yeah. um, having a dog. And she's just been like one of the greatest gifts of ever I could have ever imagined. She's her name is Sayla. I changed her name from Rachel to Sayla because every time we would go for a walk, she was always just stopping and like soaking up the world around her. And it made me think of like Sayla from the Psalms, you know, like yeah. that holy pause. Oh, um, wow. And I just, I, like this holy pause in my life. Like she's making me stop and look around and soak in the world around me because I have a tendency to not do that sometimes. And so I just was, I, I was standing there next to her and I thought, I'm going to change your name to Sayla. So I did. Angie, I, I just feel like we could end the podcast right there because that just, we're not going to. Don't worry, people, because I'll even hear everything that she has so many. I know. I, I We get the opportunity. We had, we haven't talked about this much on our podcast yet, but we we kind of interview people before they come on the podcast. They fill out this thing that helps us to make sure that we address things in the conversation that are going to be most helpful to our listeners, but also really lift up the things that our guests feel passionate about and that are meaningful to them. And we feel like those make for the best conversations. I know what you're about to hear from Angie. And so I just get so excited about what people are going to learn from you. But what I when I say that, what I mean is just that's such an incredible concept. And honestly, as a theologian, you would think that I would think about that more, but a holy pause I'm going to be meditating on that phrase mm-hmm. for a while. I really appreciate your your perspective that you 
brought with that. And I just love that that's her name. And I love that how you all are loving each other. And it's so cool. Yeah, she's just been amazing. She adds so much just life, you know, to my day to day. And it's been really wonderful. Oh. I highly encourage it. If anyone out there is debating of like adopted yeah. dog or not, it has really been the best thing for me. Oh, wonderful. Well, speaking of care and love and healing, it seems that, you know, she might have, Selah must, you know, is probably bringing a lot of care and maybe even some healing into your life. Mm -hmm. um, but given the extreme difficulty of like the journey that you, I mean, just what you experienced, especially at such a young age that would have never been expected. And I feel like that's the kind of grief that is so hard is like when you just have that a sort of shocking grief that is really mm -hmm. difficult to have imagined that it could be possible, you know, in the midst of your journey, like who has helped you? Who has healed you and cared for you? Yeah, I've had so many people like really. It's, I think in the moment, sometimes it's hard to see it, like see all the people around you. But being mm -hmm. 10 years out and looking back, it's it's pretty overwhelming to just see all the love that has surrounded me. And mm -hmm. I mean, like Will was, he was really, really sick and it, I needed help. And my, my mom came and lived with us for about six months of the time he mm. was, uh, my dad was there a lot. My sister flew out a lot, my brother. So they were all just helping so much. Will's family came out. We had friends. I mean, we were, I could spend the whole time just <laughs> stories about like, how well we were loved. It was incredible. And then after I moved to Nashville a month after he died. And mm -hmm. I know they say like, don't do anything drastic in the first year. And I was like a month. I'm, I just, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't stay. It was just every, everything was so triggering. And mm. I just, I couldn't stay in LA. And so I moved to Nashville I ended up living with a friend, Leah, for about a month, and she took me in a, like the lowest time of my life. And then after that, my sister, who was living in D.C. at the time, she just picked up her life and moved to Nashville to live with me that December. Mm. And she's still in Nashville. Yeah. So we ended up living together for about eight years. Wow. Until she got married a year ago last September. Um, That was just. I mean, she was just so incredible. My whole family, I don't know what I would have done without my family. Honestly. Yeah. And then I just, I had a lot of friends that just really loved me and supported me. And I've also been in therapy since October of 2013, the year he died. And I have gone like consistently since. And that also has really saved me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I resonate with that. I resonate with that. My therapist and my spiritual director have been people who have what I like to say, like, love me back to life. Mm, yeah, yeah, um, I feel that. I just put it together that maybe Los Angeles is, you know, for me, it's it's a going home and I'm excited about Monday. And here we are. I'm a couple of days from returning to a city that for, brought me so much joy after a number mm -hmm. of years of it's been a really painful six and a half years for me. And then now I'm moving back with sort of an eye toward a fresh start, maybe the way you felt going to Nashville. Like when you talk, when you hear someone talk about LA today, does it strike you differently a decade later? Or are you like, no, that city for me is like, it, were there any thoughts or that came up for you? 
not not when you said that you were like I didn't have any kind of like emotional response to it or anything. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I it's mixed. That's where I started my career, and mm-hmm. I, one of my best friends still lives there. And I just went back in September to visit her. I have a lot of like really wonderful memories there, and so much love that I experienced there. But yeah, even when I went back, like just being in certain parts of the 101, I just, I got really emotional Um, or just, we were in certain areas and it would just like, I would have this memory. It is, it's just hard to be there because those last, um, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it interesting how a place or places within a place can just hold so much and, and that there's actually something you said you probably like you know maybe like popular things would say don't do anything drastic during the first year but for you it sounds like moving to Nashville was actually physically removing yourself from the space that caused or that was where so much challenge and sorrow happened was probably like a form of release yeah in a lot of ways it was I mean I left an amazing community there and that was hard um mm-hmm. but we had such deep friendships there but it was just something in me I was like I can't stay here like I couldn't yeah just couldn't do it I needed to leave I wanted to be closer to my family I needed a new start I felt like I had lost I had gained a lot in that city but I had lost so much that I Mm -hmm. needed to um I just need to go somewhere else yeah well, your bio talked and we were we're talking about the reason needing to go because that's where Will struggled with his cancer diagnosis and had to go through a lot and you witnessed it. I'd love to hear in a few minutes just your reflections about that time period. But before we talk about his diagnosis and the grief that followed that for both of you, I would just love to have listeners learn about Will. Mm -hmm. What was he like? What do you love about him? What should listeners know about Will? Yeah, I was thinking about that because I think, one, he was an incredible person. I have had a tendency, and I think a lot of us do when someone dies, to kind of like memorialize them as perfect. Mm -hmm. I did that for a while, and I've I've thought about like one of the things I loved most about him was he was just really genuine. He was a very genuine person. And so just like I want to kind of remember him as a human, you know. And so like he like highlight reel of him. He was just incredibly kind and loving and compassionate. He just held so much grace for people. Mm. He He made everyone feel like they were the most important person. He was really just gentle he was super funny he was a really funny guy and Mm -hmm. uh, he was smart he was super passionate and ambitious he was very very talented he wanted to use his talent to shape the world just um he just lived really well like he he wanted his life to be full and I just always, I loved watching how he lived because he, I always just really admired it. He was so in his life, you know, and yeah, um, yeah, he was just an incredible person. He really was. How old were you when you all got married? We were 24. Yeah. So kind of younger in your early 20s. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you think about your dating 
you know, history with him and like your all's engagement, your wedding. What's the highlight reel of that? Was it a quick, like a quick romantic relationship uh, no. or? No, we met, I was 19. He was 20 when we met. We're friends. So I actually asked him out twice. Oh. He <laughs> turned me down both times. What? Uh, yeah. So I gave up. And then, then he asked if we could just like hang out. So we became friends for about a year, I guess. We kind of hung out as friends. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then he decided to tell me that he liked me. So we kind of, I don't know, we were at a Christian college. So uh, dating was, we didn't really like date. Like, I don't know. <laughs> we didn't really like go out. Like we, we would hang out in the commons, you know? Yeah, yeah. Have dinner in the cafeteria, but we weren't like really like dating, dating. But then he was a year ahead of me in school. And then he ended up going to a semester away program called the Contemporary Music Center. And that was on Martha's Vineyard at the time. It's actually in Nashville now. So he left that very next semester. And then we were long distance the rest of our time dating Mm -hmm. and then almost the first year of our marriage. So it was a lot of just writing letters and talking on the phone. That was the majority yeah. of our mm-hmm. relationship. We had a journal that we would each write in and then mail it. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, we would each keep it like a week or two and then mail it. And then, you know, the other person would write in it every day for a week or two and then mail it back. And that so is we'd... special. I like that. Yeah. It was really, it was great because back then, like with, I didn't have a cell phone in college, but then even when I got a cell phone, it was like, you couldn't talk until after 9 p.m. Didn't have any minutes. And so, but then sometimes like when I was on the East Coast and he was on the West Coast, that was like midnight my time. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't really, we didn't really get to talk on the phone a whole lot. So a lot of our relationship was like writing letters to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then he was a musician. So mm-hmm. was he on the road a lot during your marriage, too? Or or did you kind I, of go with him? I went occasionally, but not that much. If he was nearby, because we ended up moving to D.C. area. And, like, if he was nearby, I might travel a little bit. But he was he was on the road for, I guess, almost the first year of our marriage. And mm-hmm. then periodically at different times throughout okay. our which he yeah. would go out on the road for a little bit and then come back. First year was probably the, the most travel. Just depending on what productions he was working on, where his career took him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then he was diagnosed. Can you tell us a little bit about that time period, how you all realized that he maybe needed to see a doctor and how mm-hmm. I mean, you all were still quite young when this happened? Yeah, he was 32 when he was diagnosed and I was 31. It was September of 2012 and he was actually in Nashville recording. He was signed to Warner Chapel. He wrote songs for other artists and he was in Nashville writing and he was seeing a black dot in his vision and it wouldn't go away. He ended up going to an eye doctor and that was the very first symptom. Then we just kept thinking he had a sinus infection he was having a lot of sinus issues, but we didn't really know what was going on. He was going to doctors and they were just giving him like sinus stuff. And then he had a really, really severe nosebleed. And that's when he went to an ENT. Yeah. And they got a CT scan. And that's when they discovered that he had a tumor in his mm-hmm. maxillary sinus. Um, 
at first they thought it was benign. Um, they told him that he should definitely get a second opinion, though. It wasn't showing up as cancer, but it was acting as cancer. And so, so he got a second opinion at UCLA. And they also said the same thing. It's not saying it's cancer, the testing or whatever that they were doing, but it's acting like it is. I don't know how much you want me to share, but it was it was breaking the bone in his oh, face. Oh, wow. And okay. that's where they were saying, like, cancer does that. A benign tumor would not do that. There was this board of 30 people of the best researchers and doctors that they would put cases in front mm-hmm. of and they would figure out what was going on. So he was presented to that board, and that's where they determined that he had a squamous cell carcinoma. From there, then they gave us the treatment plan. Mm-hmm. For you as a person looking on, what was the grief? Like, how would you describe the grief of? his diagnosis and then just watching him go through that. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. It was so scary. Scary. We, I think we were really naive, honestly, like we knew it was bad, but we had no idea like how bad or what we were going to be facing. I think partially like he never had a really a moment of pause with it you know it was just it was super intense and super painful from the very beginning there was no reprieve from it I guess Mm -hmm. and I mean I remember one day I I was taking a shower and I just I just collapsed in the shower just sobbing yeah and I I remember thinking I can't I can't do this I can't be this and support him Mm -hmm. so I just stood up and I kind of disassociated from my body from then on. I I know that wasn't a healthy thing for me to do, but it's kind of what I had to do to mm-hmm. to function, you know? Um, yeah. I know that people listening could be going through something similar. Maybe someone that they love has had a recent diagnosis. What would you say to them? If you could go back to yourself, you know, at that time, like right after the shower, what did you need? And what could what else could have done for you, or what what would you ask for now for that, Angie? That's so tough. Our people showed up for us. People brought us meals. People were there. People helped. I ended up quitting my job and taking care of him full time. And the people helped us financially so that I could do that. I think in any way that anyone could have showed up, they did. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that. And also, it was hell. You know, it was just like there was nothing. <laughs> That's that what I was going to say is you had everything that, and I think this is important for listeners, right? You had a ton of support. A lot of resources were given to you. You were able to quit your job to be able to be with him full time. And your heart was still broken <laughs> and it was still yeah. really, really hard. Yeah. 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 It still was a shattering experience that just super disorienting and just gut-wrenching. And so it's like you're looking back and you're saying, well, Angela, like, even if I could have asked for like two or three more things, I don't know that I could have made it any less heartbreaking. It just was what it was. It was painful for him and it was painful to watch someone that loved being pain. Yeah. Yeah. When Will passed away, you find yourself just, I mean, the thing that's so, I feel like difficult about 
this kind of grief that we're talking about today is I, I alluded to it earlier. It's that you never no one expects to get married at 24 and then have become a widow at 31. Right. I mean, just no one ever. That's not I don't think in the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Would, would you say that that's fair? Like that it's just not and until then it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, this is my life. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it coming for sure. Yeah. Right. And so there's something about that that's just a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my goodness. You told us that you went to a camp. Camp Widow is what it's mm-hmm. called. Mm-hmm. Could you tell listeners about that experience and what you gained from it? Yeah. So I went four years after Will died. Um, okay. Yeah. That was when I first heard about it. So a lot of people that I met there had gone earlier in the time. I heard about it from a TED Talk that Kelly Lynn gave. And Camp Widow was started by Michelle Neff Hernandez. Both of them are widowed. And in this TED Talk, she was just talking about this camp. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to go here. They offer it three times a year. And I think it's Toronto, Tampa, and then San Diego. That, why not? That was four years after he died. Up until that point, I just felt kind of like just a shell of myself. I felt like I was on this island, just surrounded by grief and trauma. And even though I had so many people who were trying to reach me and love me, like they just couldn't get to me. I couldn't feel any of that because I was just so surrounded by all this trauma. When I went there, I felt like I met people who were on this island with me and I didn't even they were there, uh-huh. you know, yeah. and um, it was just like the camp itself. There was small group, large group. You could pick sessions that you went to, and then they broke us up into small groups of how you lost your person. I was with other people who I lost their person by illness. Then we had yoga, 5K. There was a dance party, and it was at the dance party that I was just, I felt this freedom for the first time that I just spent all weekend crying and sobbing at times with the same Mm -hmm. people that now I'm laughing and dancing with. And whether I was crying or dancing, I just felt like no judgment. It was just complete like freedom to be who I was and how I felt. And I just, it brought life back to me. It really did. I just feel so grateful for that weekend. Yeah, it sounds incredible. Even you describing it, that feels like a bomb to the soul. It feels like it's precisely the sort of thing that people need who have lost a a spouse. Mm -hmm. That is so incredible. I love that they do that work. Is that still exists today, you think? Yeah, it does. Uh huh. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. You also had a therapist. You mentioned them earlier who helped Mm -hmm. you. What is it that, what kind of help, why is it helpful help, the therapy that you've had? Um, I would say at the beginning, it was literally, it just gave me something to get me out of bed. Um, I, having an appointment was good. So just that, you know, at the beginning. And then my therapist, her name's Dr. Berlin, and she was, and actually I've had a lot of different types of therapy but she's been the most consistent over the last 10 years having someone to process things with who who didn't know well so there wasn't them having their own grief as well it was just me being able to 
say anything. I was processing so many layers of so many things. She just held that space for me. And she's a straight shooter. So she would also kind of challenge me if if I needed to look at something differently, which I really appreciated. I feel more comfortable in my own body, in my own being. And I attribute a lot of that to therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To her, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's a testament for for someone who's listening. If you've been wondering, should I see a therapist? Should I find someone? Do I have the time to do it? I think both Angie and I would say, make the time. Yeah. If the first two sessions with someone don't work, then keep trying because there will be someone who you'll be able to connect with and open up to and share your story with. And like Angie said, who could be a, a neutral sort of space that's not processing their own stuff with you, but it's literally your time to just process. And it can give you, if you feel stuck in grief, it could give you something to get out of bed for, something right. to go to. Angie, if someone has recently lost their spouse or their partner, what would you like them to know? I think this is a really important thing because you're a decade out. And I, I know that I feel like similar to Camp Widow mm-hmm. and how you couldn't quite, people couldn't quite reach you until that weekend where you were on the same island together. Yeah. I feel like that you can say something to other people about losing a spouse or a partner to illness, like, or just being a widow that like, that I can't and that other people who have not experienced that can't, you know? Yeah, I do. I want to just acknowledge that it is incredibly, incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. Like what someone is going through, it really sucks. And there's just like no way around that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just knowing like, this is, this is your journey. And there might be other people who have like thoughts and opinions. And I think it's knowing that like, this is yours and being gentle with yourself in that. That is something that my therapist would always say to me was every time I would leave, she'd be, she would say, be gentle with yourself. Maybe. And that was really, really helpful because early on it was just about survival. Like every day was just me trying to survive, just trying to get to the next day. So this concept of being gentle with myself was really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I would also say just kind of what you mentioned earlier, like it really helps to have people around you who, who you trust. If that can be a therapist, I think that that is a wonderful thing to do. If it's not trying to find a grief group, if that feels like a good fit or Mm -hmm. um, just Finding somebody, finding people that you can go to, that you feel safe with, that you feel like you can be your full self with. Mm-hmm. I think it is important to try to not do it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, like I tried a million different things. Some things stuck, some things didn't. But I think even the act of trying was helpful. Yeah. And just the act of like researching, like, what might be out there? And that's why I was listening to TED Talks. And I was just always, what what are people doing out there who are just trying to figure this out, trying to like get to the next day, trying to find those people? Because I really think it is important to not do it alone. 
But then I also had days where I was not really trying and I would sit and watch TV for 18 hours just to get to the next day. I think that's where the be gentle with yourself comes back in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I needed those days because it was just too hard to do anything else. And so I think those are the two things like, yeah, be gentle with yourself and try to not do it alone. Try to Mm -hmm. find people that you trust to walk with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. I think that Facebook groups, you know, sometimes you can find groups that are and oftentimes they're closed groups and all you need to do is answer a few questions, mm-hmm. but that are around particular kinds of grief or similar sorrows, mm-hmm. similar questions or things that you're going through in life. If you don't feel comfortable at first going to a group in person, uh, maybe starting online to some yeah. like, like a digital space, like a Facebook group that you can join to. Mm-hmm. The- One other thing I did that I think was really helpful is that sometimes if I was having a day where I, I literally had nothing to give. Sometimes mm-hmm. I would think, well, I might need to do this for my future self. So just as an example, my massage license almost expired and I was going to let it expire because I had no will to ever do therapy ever again. Mm-hmm. And I had this thought of like, but my future self might want to do therapy. <laughs> so can I do this for her? And mm-hmm. I get this paperwork in the mail. And I told myself, you don't ever have to do therapy again. Like, yeah. you do not. But you're just in case, just in case <laughs> your future self wants to, just put this stuff in the mail. And then you can come back home and eat chocolate and watch TV the rest of the day. I just feel really grateful that I did that. Because if I had not done that for my future self, then the person I am now might not be in the place where I am now. So it was really helpful for me to not put pressure on myself in the moment. But just that little, but your future self might, like, you know, be really thankful to you right now for this, going about it. Love that. I love that so much. That is such a, a, a powerful thing, way of, of keep, like, keeping moving. We talk a lot in this podcast about, like, keep moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's just about trying in, in the sense of, like, putting one foot up in front of the other, like, doing what you can today right now to continue going mm-hmm. uh, to keep loving yourself to keep realizing that your story matters and I just I love that can I do this for my future self <laughs> and and I like that you gave yourself permission you know you don't ever have to do this but as, in case your future self wants to can you do this for her today I think that's a really really incredible way of of helping yourself through things especially when you're having a particularly like down day you're feeling really overwhelmed stressed heavy mm-hmm. well I wanted to ask you about your work now and it's incredible that you own your own business can you tell listeners about what you do and how you participate in other people's healing yeah so I do neuromuscular therapy um so basically people come to me because they have some sort of pain so you know, back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, that kind of thing. And I look at their posture, I look at range of motion, and I do hands-on therapy to help them relieve pain. And just to be able to move more efficiently, some people come to me just specifically for posture. They want to improve their posture, want to improve their movement. So that is, that's basically what I do. I try to help people not be in pain and be able to live the lives that they want to live and do the things they want to do. 
Can you say more about touch therapy? Especially, I remember after my dad's death, a couple months later, I went to get a massage and it wasn't a special kind of massage. It wasn't intended to be for, you know, healing my emotional distress after that. But, but on the table, this therapist, it was really interesting. She was trained in Reiki mm -hmm. uh, energy work. And she said out of nowhere, I'm sensing deep sorrow in you. I don't know if I'm, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but mm -hmm. have you, have you had, are you, how are you upset about something? You know, and I, I told her that my, my dad had died and I was really struggling and just kind of started crying on the table. And she just did some energy work around, you know, in the space and aromatherapy stuff. And it was just so healing and so incredible. And now I get regular massages to this day, like once a month, usually. And now is like, not everyone's budget can do that. But for me, like I, I really work it into my budget because it's so important to me. Could you maybe say something about why touch therapy, why massage can be really helpful when you're grieving? Well, the work I do isn't specifically towards grief or trauma, but mm -hmm. just in general, our bodies hold whatever we've ever experienced in our lives. So whether we have a conscious memory of it or not, our bodies remember. A lot of ways, like having that touch, having like a connection with someone addressing those issues can help you connect to your own body mm -hmm. and experience like what you are feeling inside yourself. Because a lot of us, like I mentioned earlier, I totally disconnected from my body when Will was going through everything because I felt like I had to just to survive. Mm -hmm. For me, in a lot of ways, like touch therapy has helped me get back inside my own body, be able to recognize what I'm feeling, recognize what I'm experiencing, even feel my own pain. And not be so disassociated. The therapy itself can be really helpful in that way. Now, that isn't the specific type of therapy I do. Most of mine is just more clinical in terms of somebody has been sitting on their couch working on a laptop for the last two years, and now they have neck pain. That's kind of more where my therapy goes. But even still, people will come in and will they'll be talking. I do a lot of history of just kind of figuring out like, where has your, what has your body experienced in your life? Because mm -hmm. it gives me information to know where and how I should work. So even if someone comes in with neck pain because of a laptop, um, there could be a whole history of things that they don't remember or they aren't really thinking about that have impacted their life. And that can be both physical and emotional just helping someone kind of connect back to their body mm -hmm. is, is really helpful for all of us. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. Listeners, if you live in Nashville, you're experiencing pain, you know, you've had some pain in your neck, your back, all that kind of stuff. Or if you're in within proximity to Nashville, you could drive there an hour or two. I really encourage you to make an appointment at Nashville Neuromuscular Care and go see one of the people on Andy's team. Please also check out Will's album, Honeysuckle Wine. Angie, how can people listen? It is on Apple and Spotify. It might awesome. be elsewhere, but I'm, that's where I know it is. You can guarantee honey, Honeysuckle Wine is, on, is at those two places. That's so wonderful. We always end our podcast by asking this question. Are you ready? You ready for the last question? <laughs> I am, yes. How has joy found you recently? 
for me, it is always when I feel connected. So like connecting to people or my dog. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Every time I'm visiting my family or hanging out with my sister or brother and brother-in-law or talking on the phone with best friends, Sammy and Barbara, playing with my dog, those are all the times I feel like I feel this connection, this sense of belonging, and that just mm-hmm. brings me a lot of joy. And mm-hmm. I, so one, one thing I, I got a tattoo of wild geese shortly after Will died. Mm-hmm. And I got it for a number of reasons, but one of them was the poem Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. Oh, I love that poem. Can you read the, read the whole thing? I feel like it's such a, like her words, Mary Oliver is just, her words are just, so inspiring but at the same like Mm -hmm. relatable careful and just she's a minister as a poet it's she really ministers to my soul i yeah i agree i agree okay you do not have to be good you do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination calls to you like wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. And it was that line of no matter how lonely the world Mm -hmm. offers itself to your imagination. I just felt like this sense of like, whenever I feel like I'm a part of things, like that sense of belonging, it just, it brings me joy. And I just feel Mm -hmm. really grateful to be able to recognize that in my life now in a way that I don't feel like I I had access to for a good part of my life. So oh Angie, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your life and your story with listeners today, for encouraging us for this beautiful poetry. I I give thanks for you, for the ways that you loved Will, for the ways he loved you. I give thanks for his life. May he rest in power. I give thanks for all of the people who have supported you and loved you over the last decade. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. As always, we end our podcast with a blessing over our guests and our listeners. To all of you, thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, let's try, try to stay open to joy, because seemingly against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you. Don't forget to head over to our website, thegriefsisters.com. We have a free gift for you. It's a five-day grief meditation audio track that helps you manage anxiety. It includes a 10-page printable journal that walks you through each of the five days and provides a way to help you track each day. 
You can also find another audio version of the grief meditation track on episode three of season one of our podcast. We are also currently working on a series of resources and small group opportunities that will be tackling various phases of grief. These breakthrough resources will help you take steps to find the motivation you need to move through grief at your own pace, but move forward nonetheless. So look for updates on our website for those launches soon. Also, please look for our Grief Sisters Book Club and support group on Facebook. And remember, it's a we don't care if you've read the book club. Join us anyway. All of the links will be available in the podcast descriptions. Thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, let's try to stay open to joy. Because seemingly, against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you.